0: Welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. And on this episode, I speak with artist J.K. Woodward. J.K. is working on The Mirror Broken, being published by IDW. And it's going to be out on free comic book day, a 12-page preview of this fully painted comic book. 12 pages, free, on May sixth, 2017. That is free comic book day. And then immediately following that in May will be the kickoff of the five-part miniseries, The Mirror Broken, being published by IDW. For the finest in painted illustration of Star Trek, J.K. is IDW's go-to guy. J.K. worked on previous iterations of the Star Trek franchise, such as Star Trek City on the Edge of Forever, a classic Star Trek series story, and also Star Trek Next Generation, Doctor Who Assimilated Squared, starring Matt Smith, the 10th Doctor. But did you also know that J.K. is a huge David Bowie fan, just as I am, and we talk about David Bowie for a bit during our episode. And once again on this episode, I feature rest and relaxation. What does my guest like to do to kick back and relax? I spent a little more time this episode talking to J.K. just about our our love of David Bowie and his music, and it's a lot of fun to talk to writers and artists about things off of the series that they're working from because let's face it they get these questions a lot over and over again and you know it's part of promotion but at the same time hey i want to make this fun for them for me and for you and we both had a lot of fun this episode talking about our idol david bowie so let's get to it my interview with jk woodward here now on creator talks J.K., welcome to Creator Talks. Thanks for having me. It's great to speak to you. I haven't talked to you in, oh, geez, what, like a week? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, I saw you Friday at the Greater Philadelphia Comic-Con. I was only there Friday. Uh, You were there for the whole weekend, yes?
1: Oh, yeah. Yep.
0: Right to the very end on Sunday. In fact, I went straight from the airport from there. Okay. How was the rest of the event? Because I, when I was there, it was a fairly low volume day. I mean, it was still pretty busy, but that's not the big day. Usually, it's Saturday or Sunday's the big day.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Friday. Friday was. Um, well, it was consistent, but it was a trickle. You know, that people were trickling in. There was no big line or anything. Uh, Saturday. Yeah, that's when the big line was. That's when everybody came, came in like marauders all at once. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sunday slowed down a little bit, but it wasn't bad for a Sunday, to be honest. Uh, but Sunday was more of the the family day vibe, and Saturday was more like the serious collector vibe.
0: I like Friday. It's like the first day of three day events because it's not as busy. Like you said, it's a steady trickle, so yeah. I do get a chance to talk to people, you know, and not have to wait a long line. Although I do have to say, I did wait in some lines to talk to some people. Uh, it's it's those out there that are getting their books signed, several books signed, <laughs> many many books signed. I was like, wow. <laughs>
1: Oh, I, I got a few of those where the, they brought their whole Fallen Angel collection with them.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. They bring their long box and say, can you sign some of these? Yeah. <laughs> I know. And some cons, they have limits, like uh, five. I know uh, Neil Adams had a sign-up that said the uh, first signature is free, and the rest, there was like a certain amount. I forget how much it was, but. Sometimes you feel like you have to do
1: that only out of consideration for the people waiting in line. Exactly. You know? Like, yeah. I, sometimes if I if I have a line, I'll tell people, like, I'll, I'll do five now and then get back at the end of the line and keep coming through, you know, just so that, that everybody doesn't have to wait. But, yeah. But, I mean, generally I don't mind because uh, there usually isn't a line. And especially if they're bringing Fallen Angel, I'm, I'm always happy to see those books come back because it's been a while since I've done those.
0: It has. And I was just looking at it before our call. I, I forgot to read it ahead of time because, uh, you know, it's still available. It's on Comicology. It's on Comicology Unlimited. So, wow. I think I'll read that. Um, Hey. Yeah, you worked with uh, Peter David on that. That's right. And he was at the con too. Did you get a chance to talk to Peter while you were there?
1: Yeah, went to dinner with him and everything.
0: Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, we always uh, we don't always
1: bump into each other. We don't always line up with our cons. So when we do, we try to make some time.
0: So how did you get started on that series with Peter? How did he uh, hook up with you to do the art, the fully painted art on that series?
1: Well, yeah, that was really one of my um, one of my first jobs. Um, well, second job technically, but. I had done a um a book called uh, Crazy Mary and it was uh, just a twelve twelve page story insert into an anthology for digital webbing presents um which was an anthology series at the time uh and it was just something self published that we did you know we didn't get paid for it in fact we paid to do it <laughs> um but it was it was something where we got through Diamond and we got something out there and it was something we would show people. So I immediately um, ordered a bunch of copies for myself and made sure they were on the desk of um, any editor and every editor, I think, in the business. I made a lot of uh, mailings out. It, it um, landed on Chris Ryle's desk and he saw it. And while he wasn't uh, up for picking up the Crazy Mary series, uh, he did like the art and hired me to do um, it was CSI New York. Um, and I did a miniseries and it was written by uh, Max Allen Collins. So that was a, a good writer to start with. And um, while I was on the third issue of that as a, a four issue miniseries, um, I got the email from Chris Royale, um telling me that Peter David had seen the Crazy Mary thing and he was bringing Fallen Angel back uh, from D.C. and he's bringing it to IDW and he's just going to start from a number one. And he wanted me as the artist. And that was pretty much the most exciting day of my life. That was uh, that, That's when I knew that I wasn't just a guy working on a miniseries, that I was now going to be working in comics for the hopefully foreseeable future.
0: And you have. And it worked so out. So far. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> yep, so far, so good. It, it's been, geez, uh, closing in on, um, what, 13 years now? When I was at the con, I saw you had pointed out to me you had some art there from the upcoming free comic book day, Broken Mirror. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: I brought a couple of covers and uh, some preview pages that had already been published. Basically, what's what we got going on is we got a 12-page uh, intro coming out on Free Comic Book Day um, for Star Trek: Next Generation, The Mirror Broken. It's called, and it's the Mirror Universe treatment of uh, Next Generation. So, for those that aren't familiar with the Mirror Universe, it's basically all the evil twins. Um, <laughs> in a sense, it's a it's a it's a different universe where people are a little more ambitious. And it kind of shows the anti Roddenberry dream side of everybody, you know, the, the, uh, the greed, the, the seven deadly sins, they have it in, in abundance. Um, so we see a, a more aggressive Bacard, and we see uh, a more weaponized data. Um, we see a more dangerous Troy. I mean, everybody has their has their dark side and we're going to see it all in this. Um, and we're going to start on free comic book day with a, a free 12 page and uh, about two weeks after that, issue one comes out, and we're going to do a
0: a five-issue miniseries from there. And this is the first time that the Next Generation universe had that type of parallel universe that we saw in Star Trek on the uh, episode Mirror, Mirror.
1: Well, we saw it in Mirror, Mirror, and there were a couple of um, uh, Deep Space Nine episodes where they continued along that storyline. But they never did it on Next Generation. They came close with an episode called Yesterday's Enterprise, and I believe it was supposed to be their version of the Mirror universe. It was a what-if episode. Um, but it wasn't technically the Mirror Universe. They didn't revisit that universe, which is an actual universe within the Star Trek uh, storylines. Uh, so this will be the first time it's done that in comics. But there were some book series out um, a while back. And it was before Deep Space Nine did their take on the Mirror Universe. So it doesn't quite match up. Um, not at the beginning anyways, because in the uh, what they established in Deep Space Nine was that the Terran Empire, which is the name for the Federation. You know, Kirk and the gang were part of the Terran Empire. Um, and then they, they had been taken down. Uh, they, they were weakened by, or supposedly weakened by reforms that Spock made, which if you've seen the original episode, uh, mirror mirror, that's kind of how it ends. Kirk convinces the evil Spock that it's better not to be evil. And, uh, so when Deep Space Nine picks up the story, the Terran Empire was weakened and, and pretty much destroyed. And, and, uh, didn't really match what they were doing with Next Generation. So we're going to try to try to make it work between those two, uh, between the Mirror Mirror from the original series and what Deep Space Nine did, um, but in a way that doesn't have a feeble Terran Empire. We're still going to see our heroes, or in this case, our villains, uh, as strong characters.
0: And I can't say more than that because I don't want to give anything oh, away. Of course, <laughs> I have to check the Deep Space Nine episode out.
1: And there were a couple of them, and it was—it it had to do with like a wormhole accident, and it was really kind of cool. And they come out of the wormhole. It was a little bit of a bumpy ride, and they're—they like, think they're on their way to the station, but the station isn't there. It's still orbiting Bajor. and—and that's—they uh, kind of introduce um, the uh, the power collaborative. It's basically. Uh, The Klingon Empire, the Kardashians and the Bajorans all working together to take down the Terran Empire. It was it was when I, I, I it blew my mind when I first saw it. I was like, no. And they even referenced Mirror Mirror episode. They even referenced Kirk. Uh, and Spock, and, and it was just great to hear their names, and that <laughs>
0: something so far removed is Deep Space Nine. Actually, I just watched Mirror Mirror like an hour ago. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I wanted to really pay attention this time, so it's on Netflix. So I'm like, well, you know, I have some time, so no one's around. I'm going to go ahead and watch this while I have a chance. It was really good. I really, I really enjoy uh, watching Star Trek. I wasn't a big fan when I was a kid. I, I knew of it, saw bits and pieces of it, but as I've gotten older, I've really been interested in seeing it, especially since they've remastered the film. And, they, and I think they've done a little bit with the special effects too, as far as the planets and the spaceship. They've, I think they've changed a few things.
1: Yeah, they they redid all the. Basically, Star Trek was kind of uh, as far as it could, because it's television and there's a lower budget. The special effects are pretty much in between commercial breaks, and that's the exterior shots, and that's when you just see the ship usually orbiting a planet, and then they cut to where whatever they're doing on, on the inside sets. So they took all those um, all those in-between shots of the Enterprise. Anytime you see a battle with phasers or anything, that's it's all brand new, so they all redid those, and they look much better. But they still look consistent, so they didn't try to redesign the Enterprise or anything like that. And yeah, it looks great. The new stuff looks great.
0: Yeah, if I didn't know that they went in and changed out some of the special effects and updated them, if I was watching it for the first time, knew nothing about Star Trek, it, I wouldn't know it. It looks so good. Everything fits together yeah. so well. It's, it's perfect. Uh, that's why I'm really excited to watch it again. Uh, it's really fun. You must be a longtime Star Trek fan.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I grew up watching, um, you know, watching the original series in syndication, and it was um, kind of the highlight of my day. Um, and then Next Generation came along when I was in high school dating myself here
0: <laughs>
1: but the the pilot came out and i remember seeing the commercial for that and getting very excited uh there was a klingon on the bridge that at that time that was just unheard of they were the they were the enemies it would be like having a romulan on the bridge or something it was just just seemed like the strangest thing of all but it seems so roddenberry the idea that we're all eventually gonna put our differences aside you know um and then yeah, when it, I, I I think I was in my early 20s when I heard about uh, this new show Deep Space Nine, I was a little skeptical, <laughs> and it turned out to be one of my favorites uh, most of the time, anyways. Um, and they were take take they were taking second string characters from Next Generation. They were taking um, who was it uh, Chief O'Brien, who we really didn't see much on Next Generation, and eventually Worf ended up there, which which helped in the later seasons. But it was always. It was all these characters you hadn't heard of in Star Trek, and I thought for sure it wasn't going to last more than a season. But it, it, it went on strong, and it's most people's favorites now.
0: Yeah, it always um, strikes me as fascinating that The Next Generation has such wide appeal uh, across yeah. generations and between genders. Uh, back uh, in my first marriage, um, I came home from work, and I would sit down on the couch, and I would watch reruns of Next Generation. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty good show. And one day I came home a little later, and there's my wife watching The Next Generation. <laughs> I said, you like this? She goes, yeah. Oh, okay. And she was not a big sci-fi fan, but she found the storyline and the characters really appealing. And my my wife now, she is a big Next Generation fan as well. She loved watching the show when she was in school. Um, it I, just has that appeal. appeal.
1: Yeah. yeah I, I think the appeal is you can tell any kind of story that happens to be a sci-fi setting. But, and, and this is true of all Star Trek. in fact, uh, this was a tradition of the original series when it first started. You can tell any kind of story you can tell a murder mystery, you can tell a horror story, you can tell a western um, and And if you look at the episodes, every, every episode kind of has that different genre within the sci-fi setting but it's not necessarily always a sci-fi story you know and I think I think yeah, that's how it relates to you know multiple audiences. And then you know you the one that uh, like if you're into westerns and there's a western one, and that, that's what happens to drag you in. You get to love the characters within one episode, I think, on um, most Star Trek episodes, anyways.
0: Let me ask you about the book, uh, The Mirror Broken. Now, you are working with Scott and David Tipton again. They are the writers of the series?
1: Yeah, and we always seem to work together. <laughs> <So> we, <laughs> we worked together on uh, a miniseries where it was a uh, Doctor Who crossover with Next Generation, and that was called Assimilation Squared. And that was, oh god, that must have been like about eight years ago now, six years ago, or something. Um, and then they adapted the Harlan Ellison screenplay for comics, and uh, that was for City on the Edge of Forever. And it was the original Harlan Ellison um, script that he wrote that Gene Roddenberry and other writers um, had changed. I wouldn't say drastically. According to Harlan, it seemed drastically. But, um, well, they adapted his script, the original script that was supposed to be shown, and uh, that was like the first time in 50 years we have kind of saw that come to life. So that was pretty exciting to work on. And, again, that was the Tipton's. And, uh, and once again, we're together for this, and, and we'll be together for something else that's coming in uh, after this that we're not really going to talk about just ah, yet. Wow,
0: okay. A little but we're already,
1: we're already lined up to do something
0: else together. Awesome. That's, that's great news. Um, yeah, the, the City on the Edge of Forever. I think that was the first Star Trek episode that I really sat down and watched all the way through, and I was like, oh, this is really good. And I do remember there's lots of uh, back matter um, after the comic itself in the individual issues that came out. And I, th- I think what I remember most was that Harlan Ellison said that there were some references to drugs in the beginning that the producers were just like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Um, and there was some misunderstanding of runes. Uh, they they yes. actually put them as <laughs> ruins in the <laughs> right. show instead of runes. So um, that those things were fixed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember
1: Harlan telling me the story. He came in and I'm like, what's with all these broken columns? <laughs> you said you wanted
0: ruins. <laughs> And that now I can get that collected as a hardcover, actually uh four nineteen. Oh, the city uh, City on Angel? Yeah, it's coming out as a hardback. Oh,
1: cool. We had done one hardcover before, we'd done a collected um and I wonder if it's a re release of that same thing.
0: It might be. Um, but that's the date that I saw, so it's it's okay. available probably as a warm up to the mirror broken. They want to get probably. that out there. Yeah.
1: And not... Uh, for anybody um, who hasn't seen the hardcover yet, and if it's if it's the one if we're both talking about the same thing, I highly recommend it because uh, the Tiptons and I spent a lot of time going through it, putting in annotations, interesting annotations about well, you know what's in panel by panel and why it's there and uh, what changes we had to make and what it was like working with Harlan and I, I have some sketches in there. I even have a section where I show my process from um, uh, photo modeling. To uh, from sketching all the way through, um, so
0: there's a lot of extras. You'll get a lot more for the uh, in the hardcover. Oh yeah, if somebody wants to see what the differences are in the whole process, it's a wonderful book for that. So it's yeah, it's it's a great value, not just for the art alone, but just for all the other information in there.
1: Well, there's a lot of Easter eggs we put in there too. A lot of homages to um, to Harlan
0: that are in there, based on
1: his short story titles and, and things like that. Um, there's also some inside jokes about the, the, the filming of the show and the history of, of, of that particular episode, um, as well as some personal Easter eggs that we, we threw in there. So we go through it with annotations and, and explain all of them, you know. So I would recommend reading it first and see if you can catch some things, but, um, you know, we, we reveal it all in the end.
0: And, uh, is the mirror broken in all ages series? I thought I read that it was, at least the free comic book day one is.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. That's great. There's mild, there's mild violence, but it doesn't go any further than that. <laughs> as 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 dark as the story get, you know, can get, it's not uh, inappropriate.
0: <laughs> Wonderful, that's great to hear. Um, I want to go back just back to the years. You mentioned the uh, Doctor Who assimilation squared with the Next Generation. Um, are you a Doctor Who fan by any chance, as well as a Star Trek fan?
1: Oh yes, yes. Uh, in fact, at the time that um, that I got that job. I was constantly bothering IDW, see if there's any um, Star Trek work or Doctor Who work specifically. <laughs> I'll take either. Um, and they came back to me with, well, we got, we got one with both. And I'm like, that, that's not even possible. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> so, so it was really kind of a dream come true to be able to work on Doctor
0: Who and Star Trek at the same time. So are you a fan of the original series from the 60s and 70s and 80s? Or did you jump on in 2005 when they brought the series back after a long hiatus? Not even a hiatus. It was canceled and they finally brought it back.
1: Yeah, well, brought it back to the U.S. I think that it it was a shorter—I mean, they were um, showing—I mean, there were how many other doctors from the last time— last time I saw it in, in the U.S., as far as I know, they weren't showing anymore except for the, the Eighth Doctor movie they tried. But there was, it was pretty much after the Fourth Doctor. We weren't getting any more here, as far as I know. Or maybe I just stopped watching. But Fourth Doctor was my first Doctor, and, and that's, that's what I grew up watching in the, uh, in the 70s and 80s. Yes, Tom, um, Tom Baker
0: as the Doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tom
1: Baker, right. And then, yeah, then, then it was a, a dry spell until they brought it back in, uh, I guess, what was that, 2005?
0: Yeah, well, they yeah. at least I kept seeing it in the U.S. Um, on like public television stations. They would have it, and they went through uh, the Fifth Doctor, the Sixth Doctor, and the Seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. And then after, after his uh, like, third season, it was no longer renewed and it was over. And then there was the movie with Paul McGann in 1996. That's it, was, yeah. That was a Fox-BBC combination. Um, yep. And that didn't take off into a series after that. And then it came back in 2005 with Christopher Eccleston.
1: All too briefly, he was like my favorite I doctor. Know. Maybe, maybe it was because you know, the doctor was finally back. Maybe because it had been a while. I'm not sure. But I felt, like, um, I felt like we could have at least got a couple more years of him. That would yeah, have been great.
0: that was short. I mean, it's like he's yeah. been regenerating again. I mean, they've had great doctors since then. Uh, sure. You know, David Tennant, Matt Smith, um, and now Peter but Capaldi. But he was a different
1: kind of doctor. You know, he was, he was a little sadder. He was a little post-traumatic. And he, he dressed down. <laughs> he wasn't fancy in the least. He had a leather jacket and some black pants
0: mm-hmm.
1: I and mean, uh, you hadn't really seen that before. You know, the doctor is always kind of, the, the idea of the doctor you come to, I can't wait to see what his next outfit's going to be because it's always a spectacle of some kind, you know, and it, this was so, so blend in, you know, <laughs> that I, I think, uh, I think it was just kind of neat to see something different like that. Maybe that's what I liked about it. I can't figure it out, but Eccleson is my uh, favorite. <laughs>
0: I didn't get a chance to see him because I wasn't there very long at the Greater Philadelphia Comic Con. But Colin Baker was there, and he was the, let me count these, uh, sixth Doctor. And he probably had the most garish costume of all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked his Doctor, too. I didn't like the story so much uh, in his run and in Sylvester McCoy's, although there are some real gems in there that are very, very good. I love mm. watching them. Um, and I have my, my DVD library of Doctor Who that I, I've collected over the years because I'll watch those things over and over again. In fact, um, the first one my daughter saw when she was little, I had recorded them off of TV uh, when they were on PBS, and they kind of went away for a while. But I had these, and I said, would you like to watch Doctor Who? She's like, okay, what is it? I said, well, let me tell you what it's all about. You know, TARDIS, time travel, time lords, you know. So I showed her an episode, and her favorite one that she would always ask about was uh, The Robots of Death, a Tom Baker one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's like her favorite. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> one. And it's a lot of... A lot of little dry humor in there, too. I just love in the script and the way Tom Baker delivers it. He's just just great. Um, And I saw Peter Davidson, who was the fifth when I was in college. He was in Philadelphia for an appearance.
1: Yeah, I've met him. Oh, you've met him? I've met almost all of them at this point, yeah, because I've done Doctor Who conventions, So I end up (laughs) on panels or whatever.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's it's a great show. Did you see the uh, 50th anniversary episode? Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, that was great. I mean, if you've watched the show for years and you know all the doctors, and especially, I I won't spoil it for those who haven't seen it, but especially the ending. Yes, that that I was just like yeah. oh, took my breath away. It was wonderful. It was
1: so yeah, good. Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah, and 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 since then, there's been um, it, you know you see a lot of more um, even if it's just Easter eggs, you see a lot more crossover into the past. Yeah, you know, or at least mentioned. You know, it feels like it's more of a cohesive doctor who and, and i guess that's part of how tv's done now it's less episodic and more connective but it seemed it felt like you know with the 50th anniversary they were just trying to attach the more connective tissue between the uh, old stuff and the new stuff and i think that's great you know I, I think they were afraid to do it too much at first because they didn't want to alienate the new viewers because they're the big chunk of their viewership now is thinks Eccleston is the first doctor right you know so so i, I think they were kind of afraid to alienate them because they, they don't want to lose the new viewership but I think uh, I think after you know, almost 10 years they thought it was
0: safe <laughs> <laughs> what was so nice what they did was uh, and there's like a little short video before the actual episode and it's on the disc is um, they bridge the gap between paul mcgann's doctor and the war doctor and oh i saw that that was, I was brilliant that was so nice to have paul yeah. mcgann come back and, and and he was i'm like man i wish they had done more shows with him because i liked him as a doctor he played the part yeah. very well back to the artwork that you're doing how do you prepare for doing books like the star trek next generation ones or the ones that involve doctor who do you look at a lot of screen grab references or do you have like files that you use as a reference to help capture the likeness because you do a really good job of capturing the likeness of the characters because any book that kind of doesn't quite capture a real actor person you see on TV and film it kind of takes me out of it if it doesn't sure. but you know you're, you're spot on so how do you go about researching that and getting capturing that likeness
1: well I've um, I'm so familiar with the shows uh, you know especially uh, next generation you know you, you, give, you give me a quote and I'll, I'll know the show um also when i'm looking at the script um i'll and the tiptons are really good at this too they'll sometimes reference something they'll they'll say you know he's making that face he did in this scene of this show or this episode um other times i'll just know it when i when i when i read it i'll be like oh i know the face he's making this is when this is that thing patrick stewart does when you know and. an and then I'll go reference that. I'll go to the episode and, um, and you know, I, I have them all in several different media. So <laughs> so it's a matter of getting a screen grab and just having, you know, I'll just have the have it blown up on the computer and, and I have that right next to my um, drawing table. And I'll just, you know, I'll just do what the actors are doing. I'll just draw right from the faces they make and, and uh, you know, making the only changes really I'm making is with lighting. So it fits the scene or or, or you know, sometimes angles. Um, but pretty much, you can find any expression at any angle that works. And the thing is, not to go to to try to think of who, what Patrick Stewart does with Captain Picard, for example, you know, and and don't don't try to take that character and and do something he hasn't done before and make that work because it it won't, <laughs> you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And there has to be that familiarity when you see it, when you you you're like you 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 understand, you've seen this before. This is this is what it is. And the only time that you um, that, that I have to um, deviate from expression is like a, a couple of times with the Harlan Ellison thing, um, because his original script was written before they really established a much more emotionally passive Spock. So there was some emotion coming out of him. there, was some anger and stuff. And I and that was really hard because it just didn't feel like Spock every time I did it. You know, and I guess that's the whole point, but you got to try to find a, a happy medium when when you're doing stuff like that. But generally, it all it's more about the expressions they do, the um, uh, or things like the the, the card maneuver, the tugging on his shirt that he always does. You throw throw that in there and it, it makes it feel familiar or a Riker with his leg up on the chair or the leg swing every time he sits down. These things that we're used to seeing bring them into the comic book that helps keep us in the story that meant. If I can make it feel as much like an episode, only you know maybe maybe a little better because we don't have a an effects budget, so we can do a little more. But when it comes to the scenes on the bridge or the scenes in you know in the hallways or or in um, in uh, sick bay, it should all feel just like the show. And and a lot of times that means I gotta I gotta pull myself back. I want to do some crazy shots. Or I want to do some you know. Um, bird's eye view stuff and, and, and I do do that sometimes with establishing shots but I try not to overdo that so that it still feels the way they shot on the show you
0: know, I think that helps a lot and you know, and it works so don't deviate <laughs> oh definitely, no I mean you nailed it that way, that's, that's the perfect summary of that is I, when I read the books I feel like I'm home, like I'm watching the show and it's because you're using the likenesses and the writers are referencing them, it doesn't pull me out of it I, it has all that look and feel of like the show and that's perfect summary of how it pulls people in and captures their attention. And it feels familiar, but not copied, you know? Yeah.
1: It, well, that's the other thing too. It should always be its own thing. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to steal exact scenes and stuff, but it's just, it's more about learning the style, the style of the actors and the style of the, um, of the directing and the things that the, it's mostly about the things that they, you see that they never do on the show. So you should try not to do that. Cause that, that'll take you out of there too. Um, and, and part of it is, too, is uh, uh, we're all fans of the show, you know, the Tipton's and I. So we know what we'd want in a comic, and that helps a lot when you create creating, to be a fan.
0: Now, when you're painting these pages, we talked a little bit about this, but for the show, I just want to discuss it some more. Um, sure. Your turnaround time for actually creating a page, because you start out with pencil, and then you paint. So I know, generally, pencil inks takes an artist about a day for a page. But in your case, you're doing a lot more work after the penciling.
1: Um, the penciling for me is is the um, probably you know one third of it, um, actually probably less. I mean, i can I can pencil something in in probably about eight eight to ten hours, um depending on how complicated or sometimes a lot faster. Um, so I generally do the pencilling first and I'll pencil two pages a day and I'll just try to get an issue done um, you know within um, within a couple of weeks' tops. That's after that is where I spend a lot of time because. <laughs> it can be up to 20 hours of just painting a page, you know? So in total, your average page is about 30 hours and some are a great deal less and some are a great deal more, but that's like I said, an average. Um, and yeah, like the process is just like anything else at first. It's just, you do your layouts and you do your pencils. Um, and then what I usually do is I send the pencil pages so they can start the lettering while I'm, I'm doing the painting because then it's just a matter of dropping in another file when, when it's painted. Um, and the painting process, I actually do share this a lot on my blog, so people can go there and, and take a look at stuff. I'm also uh, constantly shooting videos for Facebook when I can. Like, there's not I can't always show the pages I'm working on at the time, um, but I'll, I'll I'll set up the uh, I'll set up the camera and just do like a chat while I work for about an hour, so you can see the process. Um, also on Instagram, I do a lot of uh, sped up process stuff, so you can just see it in fast motion, which. To this day, still cracks me up when I watch them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no Periscope. Yeah, no. That, no that's periscope. a little dangerous. That's kind of, without a net. You know, a lot of people can just like throw anything out there while you're working.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Well it's 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 kind of like what I do on Facebook,
1: and I don't do that. The, I I do the uh, the live feed on Facebook mm-hmm. where I just set set up my phone on a um on a tripod and just have it aimed at what I'm working on and just work, and then people will leave messages in the comments, and I'll jump up every once in a while to check them out but um, and then just answer them verbally but you know I don't
0: do that too much because it does slow down the process <laughs> because you get distracted by everybody do you have a, a time where it's like you don't have any social media contact you're just kind of like, okay I've got to really focus on this for the next four hours so I'm just going to kind of turn off everything and just yep. put my head down and get to work <laughs> last week <laughs> when I got yeah, when I got
1: back from the um, uh, from the con of Philadelphia it was, yeah, it was radio silence for a while. And that, that goes for everything. I don't, I don't even check my emails. You know, I check my emails once a day before bed. And I'm like, okay, I got to deal with this tomorrow morning before I start. And then then just keep no distractions. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's a two-second distraction maybe every once in a while. And maybe that all adds up to just a few minutes a day that you're um, you're wasting doing something besides work. But it also, you know, throws the train off the rails a little bit. You know, and it takes a while to get back you know i i kind of i kind of the metaphor i use is it's it's like driving you know you get you got to shift down and every time you stop and then you got to shift back up again and that that you know that slows you down considerably whereas if you keep a steady top speed you you go a lot further a lot faster so it's almost it's almost being slowing you down exponentially um to stop for a minute and those are days where yeah i can't have any distractions i can't I, I can't even have somebody knocking on my door. You know, I'll put a sign out leave me alone. <laughs>
0: so. I'll do the same thing writing an article. I'll just, I'll get on a roll and then I won't stop. Like I, I won't even stop to eat. I'll just keep going until yeah. I've, I've gotten that thought out of my head, how I want to structure this article. I just have to go. I, once I find it, yeah. once it finally clicks, I'm off. <laughs> yep.
1: No, that's what you want to do too. Cause that's, that's, that's where you get your best creativity. And that's, um, and especially where, where it's, it's a time intensive thing. That's, if you're on a roll, don't waste it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> cuz there may be a time you're not so inspired, right? you know, and that's when you can go to sleep. But you know, just stay up and keep sometimes I'll work for, you know, 36 hours straight and I go, "Okay, this is this is all I can do." But I mean, if I have that in me to do it,
0: do it. Don't waste that, you know. Right. Uh, my family's learned about me. It's like I'll be down in 10 Times five. You know? It's like when you have to repair something around the house. So this will take a day. Make it three. You know, yep. <laughs> time. Time. It's like you're outside of time and space when you're working like that. You just lose all track of time. Well, I call that the time warp, and that's the place you want to be. That's
1: the place yeah. you want to be where you you finally lift your head up and you go like, "Wow, ten hours just went by. How'd that happen? <laughs> you know, you want to be in that place because that's when you're the least distracted, mm-hmm.
0: highly focused. Yep. So how long does it take for you to do an entire series? Like how far ahead do you need to work? I mean, you talked about separating out the lettering so that you can pass everything along um, mm-hmm. while the lettering being done with the, from the pencil rust. But how long does it take for you to do, say, a mini-series? Um,
1: kind of a sore topic at the moment because the deadline's recently changed. Mm. <laughs> I'd like to have six weeks an issue. Sure. Um. And actually, I like to have two months an issue for a painted comic, um, but I can do it in, in six weeks. But they often want it even quicker sometimes. Um, so it really it really depends on what the solicitation schedule is and whatever it is, I have to um, I have to line up with that. Um, for instance, I've I've got to get two done earlier than I thought I was going to have to get it done um, because that's a June solicitation. So it's got to fall into the month of June. So I have to make sure I have it done. Um, early enough where we can make that happen. And, and then in, the issue after that, of course, has to be uh, has to be July. You can't you can't skip months <laughs> because people lose money when that happens. Um, so, it, yeah, it really depends on what the I'm, I'm dictated by the solicitation schedule, and that's decided by editorial. Um, but generally, ideally, um, six months is a good way to guarantee the qualities where it should be um, of six weeks rather. So that would be um, six weeks times whatever, whatever the issue is. And I generally like to have at least two done before the first one's in stores, because okay. that gives me the time I need so that it comes out monthly and it's not late.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about the lead time. How much they allow yeah. you? Um, yeah, you want
1: I I, I want at least that. I would love to have at least three done before the first issue comes out, because that takes a lot of pressure off you. But um, you can do it with just you know just get the second one out there before the first one hits stores and then you're in a good place because that gives you your six weeks for the other three if it's a miniseries.
0: Now, I'm no artist, and I barely pass for human, but I'm <laughs> wondering <laughs> what kind of tools do you use to do your art? I know there are fans out there who are artists themselves, and they're kind of wondering what kind of instruments you use, what kind of tools work best for you that you're most comfortable with to get the desired result that you're looking for.
1: Well, I'm, uh, I'm kind of old school. Um, I'm still working traditional media, and I, I don't I don't know that will ever change. I mean, I've I've worked um, I've worked digitally, of course, before uh, design jobs I've had in other illustrations. Um, but for for the comic work, I like to have paintings, actual paintings. And the medium I use is gouache. Usually, um, I'll use some acrylics with that, some watercolors, some inks. I'll I'll mix it up, but generally it's like 99% gouache. And um, <clears throat> as far as brushes, for those that are artists in, in traditional media, I use a number six and a number four round most commonly. Um, those get the, um, those can get both broad, uh, strokes and, uh, fine detail because they come to a point. And I use, um, the sablette, which is half synthetic, half sable. And the gouache I use is Winsor & Newton. It costs a little more, but it's worth it. And I paint everything, um, what, what they call golden age size, uh, which is, uh, on 18 by 24 instead of the 11 by 17. And it's on, I use hot pressed cotton instead of, um, uh, Bristol board. Um, because bristleboard board has trouble taking the paint sometimes. it'll it'll warp. and more than that, it'll kind of eat the paper. if 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 you're using pulp instead of cotton, that the you know the pulp will uh, the the paint will sort of dig into it sometimes. if you if you with, with gouache, you can reactivate it by wetting it. So sometimes you do that just to blend things in. And if you do that too much on on pulp style paper like bristleboard, it'll tear it up. You know? so that's why I use hot pressed cotton. That's, that's some pretty dry stuff if you're not an artist, I guess. <laughs> but the point is I, I, I actually have 18 by 24 paintings when it's all done. I don't do any um, any Cintiq work or anything. The only digital I do is scanning it in when it's done so I
0: can upload it. And didn't you recently do a ROM annual cover as well?
1: Oh, yes. And and this this is something, if you want to see the process of it, you can see it on my blog. Um that is That was an homage to the great Bob Larkin, and uh, in, I, think, I believe it was 1978 Hulk magazine cover he did. And it's a very famous one, so as I'm describing it, I'm sure plenty of people know exactly what I'm talking about. It's Bruce Banner in a lab coat turning into the Hulk, and they just show the various stages going upward. Um, and it was one of my favorite uh, Bob Larkin paintings. And actually, the, the idea for that uh, was from Chris Ryle. It just happened to be one of my favorite covers that he asked me to to to
0: homage this goes back several years, but i I just have to ask I remember listening to a podcast at the time you talking about losing your home because of Hurricane Sandy and probably a lot of your you know personal effects as well. How long did it take you to finally get back to some sense of normalcy well i i, I did I got a lot of support I gotta say so
1: that helped a lot. basically, we lost everything um, we had just um, sold the condo to Cover some debts. So we were back to zero, which was a good place to be compared to where we were. Um, But we were renting at the time. So we had just moved everything into a a small apartment on Long Island, which was we didn't know at the time. We were just taking everything somewhere to be destroyed (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it just hit before we could get any renter's insurance, before we got anything into storage, before any of that. We were only there like two and a half weeks before it hit. Um, So it it was almost normally... This wouldn't have been so bad because we probably would have had a lot of stuff in storage. Um, we we would have had things insured. It just happened to be at the worst time possible. So, <laughs> so what happened was, yeah, we, um, we were there and all of a sudden we were in four feet of water. The house was just flooded. And um, we had to evacuate suddenly. And we were stuck out in the storm um, up on the um, neighbor's balcony uh, just to stay out of the water. Uh, for about three hours before we found uh, um, a key to the neighbor's house, and uh, the, the problem was we, we we were waiting for the landlord to um, text us back, and all the towers went out in the meantime. And then some, by some miracle, we got one bar after about three hours out in the storm, and it it told us where the key was. Oh, man. We went and got the key, we got we got to go to our upstairs neighbor's house, and. And, uh, and and then things got much better at that point. But the next day we had to go down and see the devastation, and, and everything was gone. Mm. I still had a few things in my studio in Queens. I had a separate studio, um, and luckily I was under um, I was under a contract, so I had to pay the last month, and I had to keep so I kept some of my stuff there as storage. Uh, if I hadn't done that, I would have lost absolutely everything. Ugh. And luckily, that's where most of the pages at the time I was working on um, Assimilation Squared, issue eight. I was like four pages from being done when that thing hit. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, so, and luckily those pages were there, safe and dry, or else, <laughs> or else that book might have been a little late. Yeah,
0: because yeah, usually, deadlines wait for no man, or woman. No. So yeah, <laughs> jeez. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. It has to come out when it comes out. But you know, fans came through and and supporters and yeah, uh, you yeah. Well, what, what I um,
1: yeah, what I did was I I, I people had been asking about um, Prince for a while. I was like, all right, I'll just do a print sale and, uh, you know, see if that generates some money. And uh, some people just bought a print, you know, just just to help me out, you know, because they knew what, you know, what what I was raising money for. Um, Some people generally uh, genuinely wanted some of these prints to be released for a long time because I had a lot of stuff up and people have been asking me, are you going to make a print of that? Are you going to make a print of that? Um, and then my friend uh, Erica Lewis helped me out. She was a producer on um, it was a G4 show basically about comics and, and general geekery. Um, and she was a producer on that. And she got somebody who announced that uh, my print sale and how to buy the prints. And the minute that went up, all of a sudden, like, you know, I, I had uh, every time I got um, a PayPal payment for the prints, I'd have, you know, have it go on, go off on my phone. My phone just started beeping nonstop. I had to shut that that feature off because I was just getting orders like crazy from oh, the television advertising. And, yeah, it helped us raise enough money to um, to put everything together that we had left uh, and to make the trip across country. We we now live in um, Southern California where it doesn't rain quite as much. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so so it was enough to to, uh, you know, get a new place, get settled. Um, buy new furniture, basically the essentials, so that we kind of have a normal life. And uh, we've been building since then, and, and now you wouldn't even know it ever happened. So, it, yeah, it all it took a little while to answer your question more succinctly. It took about four months to get, you know, to get a new home and to get get it furnished and everything, and to, to get moved out there. But it happened a lot quicker than it normally would have because of um, you know the fans pitching in, you know, buying the prints and, and buying some art and everything.
0: Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear everything's finally worked out and you weren't out too long. You know, Four months is pretty good considering you nearly lost everything. Um, yeah, it
1: was a much quicker recovery yeah. than I expected.
0: <laughs> now, you've traveled around the world and I read that you've been to Germany because that's a place where one of your, your idols went, David Bowie, and you are a yes. David Bowie fan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> have been for years Yeah, me too, excellent, uh, I wanted to talk about that for a bit sure. have, you, have you ever seen Mr. Bowie in concert? A
1: couple of times um, I never saw him in the periods I wanted to see him because of my age me too
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I did see him in Glass Spiders um, because I had that at the time I had a job at uh, a concert hall called Great Woods in uh, Mansfield, Massachusetts um, and he was playing there so um, basically, what, what, what happens when somebody's playing there that I want to see is I, I take that day off of work and I can still get in and go see them.
0: <laughs> That's the first one I saw, was Glass Fighter Tour.
1: Was it? That yep. was my first as well. Yep, yeah,
0: Yep. I wanted to see Sirius Moonlight, but I waited too long and my friends didn't want to go. And there were only, like, uh, individual seats left or obstructed view. So I was like, all right. So I had to wait several years until he came around again. And I, if I remember correctly, uh, Squeeze opened up for him. Yes. It was a good concert. It was really. it was at uh, Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, which no longer exists. But uh, it was really cool to see him, uh, to see that great big uh, outdoor arena-type show. Where else have you seen him?
1: I saw him in Anaheim. And I'm trying to remember which tour that was. I think it was... Um... God, what was what was that album that came out? Um, the one directly after Black Tie White Noise. There was a few years in between before an album came out. Ah, uh, there was not a, outside. Okay, the one after, uh, the one after outside, the more poppy one.
0: Oh, uh, Earthling. Earthling. Yes, yeah. I didn't well, get to see 4. that one. Oh, good Storm for you. I.
1: Yep, I wanted to see the Outside tour because I really love that album, but I kept hearing bad things, and it, and it broke my heart to hear it. But that that the, the Nine Inch Nails was overshadowing. David Bowie, or and then there were some ignorant people saying, Oh, look, David Bowie's trying to be like Trent Reznor, which mm. which is so backwards. No, <laughs>
0: right? it's so backwards, it's not even funny. I did get a chance to see that one. I did see the outside tour in Camden, New Jersey. Um,
1: How it, was it? How was your experience there?
0: I liked it. Um, I I, it I was, know I would have loved it because that's one of my favorite albums, and I think it's completely underrated. There you go. Yep, I, I feel the same way. I was just listening to some of it today uh, while I was working out. And, oh. um, yeah, I mean, the, he, some of his best stuff is on that album. I mean, there are—I I didn't really like the the narrative between that kind of. I think that's maybe why I kind of didn't really stick for some people. That the characters he was doing, the voices in between, but the songs themselves right. are, are very good. The
1: songs are great, yeah.
0: And and uh, I, I lo- I'm a sucker
1: for a concept album. I loved it. I love the Diary of Nathan Adler that came with it. I love the fact that he's he's work he's singing through a character again, which is.
0: Some of Bowie's best stuff when he does that? He was uh, one of the greatest, I think, ever. And the concert was very good. Um, I just, this, the sound quality was really great. I was sitting up at, actually up on a hill. So I had the general seating and Nine Inch Nails. Oh, grass up. seats? Yep. I had grass seats because way down in front, there was a mosh pit and kids were just jumping what? around and talking. Yeah, I was like, grass was flying everywhere. <laughs> Even when <laughs> David Bowie was singing like a ballad, there'd be stuff flying everywhere. And did, he was singing The Man Who Sold the World and he did it in a different so the kids left like, oh, yeah, Nirvana did this. Nah, uh, you know, they're all it's screaming. It's a Nirvana song. Right. So he's singing it in a different style than that. It was even different than the original version that he did on the album. But they're still jumping around and diving. They didn't care. Um, but it was it was really good. And I recently, in the past month, bought an album uh, called Back in Anger, which is a, a radio and FM broadcast of the concert. And I listened to that. It's got both Nine Inch Nails songs and then David Bowie songs on it. It's pretty cool. good, actually. There's only a couple little glitches here and there because it was recorded off FM, but it is so, so clean. Um, if you want to seek that out, you will love this because you can okay. s- listen Set to it out. now. I'm like, this was really a good concert and some of Bowie's versions of his songs. And he was doing stuff off of Heroes, off of Low, off of Scary Monster Super Creeps.
1: Same, same with the Earthling tour. He was, um, it, there was always, it almost seemed like he was trying to get one song off of every album. Mm hmm. You know, just to just get all errors represented. But he would do them in a new way.
0: Yeah. That's, made, you know. that's what I loved about all of his stuff was every tour, every concert he would do, every concert tour set, there would be a different version of a song. Like you never yep. heard something the same way twice when he did it. went on tour again.
1: Did, did you hear – Did you, I, now, I don't know if you're familiar with this bootleg, but I was familiar with it like uh, back in the early 90s. There was a, a rather famous bootleg going around, the Live in Santa Monica, 1972. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they finally released that officially yes. and I, it came with the, um, I, I got the vinyl box set, the Bowie oh, one, basically right. what it was. I got both of them so far. I'm getting them all. <laughs> Nothing like rebuying <laughs> albums, Oh yeah, but I got it. Cause they have so much extras in the box set. So I, I, I had to get that. I had to get the actual, um, mixed and remastered 1972. Cause the bootleg was just horrible quality mm-hmm. and
0: it, it, it isn't that much better, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely worth buying. So, yeah, they released the uh, Nassau bootleg too, the station yeah. to station tour. It. Yeah. Yep. That was really yep. good, also. Uh, I yep. saw him and I saw the glass spider. And then I saw him in 1990 when he was doing his sound and vision tour um, at yeah. the Spectrum. I, I caught thought that was, one. Yeah. Oh, you, you saw that one too? Yep. <laughs> I was so excited to go. I went there with a friend of mine. We're getting ready to go in. And, like, oh, hold on. Your ticket's for tomorrow. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I had to go back home go back the next day I was just so fired up to go and it was a it was great uh, I think Adrian Blue was playing guitar during that tour Yep he also played on some of his uh, uh Berlin Trilogy albums which are my favorites I think out of I mean it's hard to pick one but the Berlin Trilogy and Scary Monsters that whole set is this it,
1: great stuff came it, out of that era
0: It doesn't sound it never sounds dated it just sounds mm-hmm. fresh as, every time I listen to it like it could be done it's like a, music for the ages could mm-hmm. work in any, any any generation um, and then I saw uh, in 91 uh, tin machine he was um with the sales brothers sales brothers
1: yes mm-hmm. that was great mm-hmm.
0: and it was a very small venue it was at the tower theater in Philadelphia so I was only maybe like five or six rows back which was Wow! The closest I've been to anybody in a concert, and you could see like the sweat dripping off of him and flying everywhere, and it was it was a great show. <laughs> and I found that the songs from the first album, which was much more raw, sounded better in concert than the songs off the second Tim Machine album, which were much more uh, pop sounding and much more uh, polished. Sure. But they just said, it was kind of the reverse. I expected to hear him sound that way in concert, but it was the reverse. The the raw ones sounded better in concert. And he um, he came out before he came out. There was a TV on stage and i'm not sure what was playing but it was like a you know just t- tube tv sitting there and it's just playing for like 15 minutes i'm like what's going on what's the purpose of this <laughs> and then they had all these trouble lights just hanging there on the stage and as the band was getting ready to come on the lights would get brighter and brighter and brighter and then the band came out and he played bus stop and just banged that out with the band and the crowd went nuts it was great and uh, i think that and i think oh no i saw the last one I, time i saw him was the reality tour uh, in 2004
1: I missed that one but you know
0: yeah that was he did a lot of stuff that I'm sure he probably did on the Earthling tour now um, I
1: was in Germany at the time did, did he do a tour for Heathen
0: I think he did a small tour for that um, but it wasn't over here in the US I, I would have been on that one and I don't remember him ever being here in the US it might have been like one or two stops something okay. very short maybe like at a festival I think he might have done but not a separate tour for Heathen okay and then um, where were you the day that you heard that he passed away.
1: Oh, uh, I was I was right here at home. I just got done working for the day. It was probably it was Late at night or early in the morning the wee hours. I'm not mm-hmm. sure but my wife came in and told me I couldn't believe it. I guess she just had seen it online and I had just got the album that day because I had it You know, of course I I pre-ordered right of me too. Yeah pre-ordered yep. It and it came in <laughs> in that Friday and and, and I was um, Was it that day? I got it or it might have been just the day before but I mean, I just listened to the album, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and then I got this news and I was like, that's just like David Bowie to be so theatrical. Die on the day his last album comes out.
0: <laughs> I know. Are, I was. Are- yeah, I was stunned. I was. I was laying in bed. Yeah. It was still like it was early hours of the morning. It was still dark out, and I opened up my phone and I was just kind of catching up on social media, and uh, a relative of mine posted, "Oh, rip David Bowie," and I was like oh, come on, you got to, you no, know, you're just, that's kind of, that's got to be wrong. And I went and checked and I was like, oh my God, I was just like stunned. I could not believe it because no one knew, at least the public yeah. didn't know that he was, had a terminal yet, illness. Yet it didn't surprise me
1: after listening to that album because mm-hmm. it's, that album definitely sounds like a goodbye. Yes. You know, yes. when you listen to it and I was like, oh God, I hope he's not, gonna hope he's not going to stop recording because that's, that's what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking it was the final goodbye. But apparently, you know he didn't expect to be making another album, he didn't expect to live that long, yeah, so it was his sort of David Bowie's opus, you know
0: it's I listen to it differently now, it sounds different to me when I listen to it, you know before <laughs> he died, it- sounded one way to me now I'm like, oh yes, now I understand, yeah, yeah it's I'm still kind of. Shocked about the whole thing because it's such a huge loss because he was so creative his music is so iconic It's just amazing and there's always
1: you know he, I got used to living in a world where there's always gonna be a new fresh David Bowie album around the corner Not like David Bowie reliving his golden years. It's always gonna be something, you know It always has been something new not to bash like stones or something They, they can come up with a new album, and you know exactly what you're gonna get right you know, and you don't get that with Bowie, and I just kind of liked being in that world, and it just kind of sucks that that's not gonna happen anymore.
0: yeah, but each one was a little different. Like no two were alike. Yeah. There was always a slightly different or sometimes a radically different spin.
1: yeah. well, usually he'll go he'll go about three albums where it's just slightly different. He'll just build on what he started with the first one and do another one and maybe a third one. and then he'll just go radically different and then build on that for a couple albums and then go, you know, radically different. And you just kinda of got used to, I I got used to that. I yeah. I would even look forward to it. I can't wait to find out what his new sound is. <laughs> after we get through one or two more albums,
0: we'll hear it, you know.
1: And just took it for granted. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's some of the albums that were so different for me to listen to when I first heard them. I'm like, I'm not sure what I think about this. They are now have become like my favorite albums, like Heroes. That mm-hmm. was so different, but then it just kinda of grew on me and I was like, I couldn't stop listening to it. And I always pull that one out every once in a while and listen to it.
1: That's why I I enjoyed the day after. Because it, you know, you listen. have you listened to them back to back? Was it the day after?
0: What was it called? Um, there's, there was low. the next day. The, the next, next day. The next day, yes. Next yes. day. Mm-hmm. You
1: listened to those two back to back. It's quite an experience.
0: Yes. Yes. It, was, it wasn't it was like the same cover with a post it note over it or something like that. The, yep. It looked like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a great album too. Oh, man. Well, you'll, you should check out that Back in Anger one. I think you'd really like that, especially you know if you didn't make that concert with Nine Inch Nails. There's a, a lot of energy there. And when the two of them cross over and play Scary Monsters, Super Creeps, it's fantastic. If you were a diehard fan, you'd really appreciate it because he wasn't playing Rebel Rebel. He wasn't playing Ziggy Stardust. He wasn't playing things that are played on the radio a lot. But if you like the right. deep tracks, they're on there. And they're the different versions, too, of the songs. So it's really, really cool.
1: Was it... Uh... 1995 radio transmissions? I'm, I'm yes. Googling it now.
0: Yes. Yeah, there's a couple <laughs> different ones out there, and some don't sound that good. I understand just reading the reviews that the sound quality is not too good, but that's one that had the highest reviews I saw, and the, the title of it is called Back in Anger, and it's a Yeah, two, I'm, I'm
1: seeing Back in Anger subtitle, 1995 radio transmissions, yep. two CD set. Do they have it on vinyl, do you know? or?
0: I don't know if they have it on vinyl. you see Bowie and Trent Reznor on the cover? Is that what you see yep. Bowie? Yeah, that's the one. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'll be checking it out one way or the other. Um, Just a few more questions before we wrap up. These are all just fun questions like we've been talking, Bowie. These are just fun things. This is the segment I like to go to called Rest and Relaxation. What do you like to do for rest and relaxation when you're not working? (laughs) Drink. (laughs) Wait, that's my third question. That's coming up. Hold on. (laughs) We'll we'll get you the drink. (laughs) To be honest, I I (laughs) –
1: I haven't had much time for um, rest and relaxation in the regular sense that people with regular jobs might have. In other words, don't really get days off, don't really have weekends, um, pretty much work every day. The the relaxation I get is from, you know, I, I do about a half hour of cardio every day and I really enjoy that because it just kind of takes all the stress of the day away. So probably working out. Um, Apart from that, I wasn't kidding when I said drinking. <laughs> Basically, the closest thing I get to a vacation is cons, and I really enjoy that because unlike being uh, locked inside a studio all day by yourself, you get you get to uh, talk to people, you get to be around people, and and you don't. This isn't a very social job normally, so I do like doing cons, even though it's technically still work. Uh, it's it's really not. It's the closest thing to a vacation I get.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're my vacations too, much to the chagrin of my family. I mean we plan family <laughs> vacations, but I love going to Baltimore, and I plan to go to HeroesCon this year just because I want to see all these folks that I've talked to on the phone or Skype and, and some that sure. I, I have seen before I want to see again. So to me, it's like this injection of energy. I just feel refreshed. I'm exhausted, but I feel refreshed and rejuvenated, and I'm ready to get back to my day job because it's just so much fun. And uh, you talked about drinking, and and I was going to ask, what is your beverage of choice? Ah, uh,
1: well, <clears throat> I'm always love trying new ryes and new whiskeys, particularly bourbon. Um, but if I if I had to pick one, like an old regular that I like, that's not it's not too high shelf, so I can afford it whenever I want it, and it's not uh, it's not exactly Jim Beam either. It's something right in the middle, and that's usually where I like my drinking. <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> it's Bullet Rye. Bullet Rye is my uh, my regular, and I usually can. Usually when I'm at home uh, every once in a while I make a rye Manhattan at the end of the day And that's kind of my thing just to have like
0: a, a double rye Manhattan at the end of the day mm-hmm. It was, just makes for a perfect day Excellent, and uh, if you had an island book you're stuck on an island No electricity What's the one book or set of books that you would want to have with you to read? Oh
1: now? This is not my favorite book, but based on your your parameters um, I would have to say catcher in the rye only because it still makes me laugh. <laughs> it's a depressing book, I know, but I mean, I, it's something that I could read over and over again, and it still makes me laugh. Just, just the way Holden Caulfield talks, <laughs> and just his bad attitude about everything. It, it's, I, I know it's a little dark, but that makes me laugh. Well, you're stuck on an island, so I mean, come on. Yeah, so you got to figure something you're not going to get sick of. <laughs> That's right. For a while. You know, and it might not be my favorite book, but I'd probably never get sick of that. I'll, I'll always laugh at it.
0: Very good. Very good. Well, J.K., thank you so much for spending uh, the hour with me, and uh, we will be looking for The Mirror Broken on free comic book day, a 12-page preview of the book coming up in June, I believe, and that'll be a five-issue series through IDW.
1: That's correct. Actually, the uh, first issue also comes out in May, but I think close to the end of May. Oh, excellent. And the second issue comes out in June. Yeah, towards the end of June.
0: Fantastic. We don't have to wait long, then. It's almost here.
1: I think that's why they did it. They're hoping to get you hooked with the 12 pages so you come back in a couple of weeks for uh,
0: issue one. They are so smart. They should publish books. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love IDW. I kid. No, I do. I really do read a lot of the books. They're Doctor Who books. I'll definitely be reading this series. So uh, looking forward to it. Uh, Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for having me on all right and that wraps up my interview with jk woodward and just a reminder that on free comic book day the first saturday in may you can get star trek next generation mirror broken number one and i see here in the solicitation that it is a six-part series Uh, we talked about it being a five-part series but uh, as far as i know it's still six and oh geez i hope jk knows that (laughs) another issue to crank out uh He is being joined by writers Scott Tipton and David Tipton, and he's worked with them before on his other Star Trek and Star Trek Doctor Who team-ups, so uh, you know you're in good hands for this series, and I'm really looking forward to it, for one. And even if you're not a big comic book fan, but you are a fan of Star Trek, uh, it's definitely worth checking out because, like I said, the likenesses are spot on, so you feel like you are watching a show, so well worth reading. I have been inundated with requests to be on the show as a guest, and I am getting back to everyone who has reached out to me in the next couple days. So we'll have a lot more guests on and probably have a lot more weeks where I have two episodes out, which is why I have not been blogging so much. Uh, The podcast comes first. The blogs are secondary, and they will be more infrequent. But uh, as I said, the audio interviews are the main focus of the show. And you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Pod. That's at Pod. And on my website, you can visit it, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. There you can also send me emails. And so you do not miss an episode, subscribe because the podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Another podcast coming up this week that's already in the can, so I look forward to bringing that to you. And I also want to thank all of my new Twitter followers and Facebook followers. Thank you for joining me, and I think I'll go listen to some David Bowie now with my favorite beverage. For Creator Talks, I'm your host Christopher Calloway, until next time.